I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. As always, dad is an energy and not a gender. Before we get into the show proper, we're doing something pretty cool in the next couple of weeks. We haven't done something like this before, but we're very excited to do it. Why don't you kind of let the people know? The people. Yes. Hello, people. Um, we're going to release two episodes next week. Yes. I don't think it's something we'll do all the time, but every once in a while, when the mood strikes and the viewing is hot, we'll probably release a couple. So we love Halloween and we love horror movies. And last year we watched a horror movie or two or three every single day in October. And um, we always talk about everything we watched in a week, unless it's a rewatch of something we've already talked about. And we don't like the... uh, idea of just skipping things for the sake of keeping our episodes short or shorter than the, the length they are. <laughs> um, and we're watching a ton of movies this week. So we're going to split it into two, talk about our regular stuff that we watched, kind of the new and hot stuff in the theater and the mystery picks that we're watching or ones that we just agreed to watch. But the other episode is going to be pretty darn cool. Um, every year since 2018, our favorite theater in the world, Metro Cinema, has had an annual curated film series called Not Your Final Girl. And it's usually three or four films. This year it's four films over three days. We're going to go to all of them. And we're going to have an episode that just talks about those four films. Mm -hmm. So they're all horror or horror-adjacent films that explore complex, multidimensional women characters. Um, And we already saw one last night. We can't wait to talk about it. It's curated every year by uh, local Edmontonian, Nicole Boychuk, and we are so excited to watch the other three over the next couple days and have an episode that just talks about this film series because we think it's pretty rad. Um, So on Thursday, our regular episode release will be the stuff you're used to hearing, and then it'll be other stuff you're used to hearing, but just around a particular film series, and we're going to release that next Sunday. Mm -hmm. Very excited. Yeah, pretty cool. Very excited. Yeah. And like you said, we already saw the first film and it was 
pretty pretty amazing pretty good pick and we were we were already excited to see that film at the prospect of seeing that film and then we saw it was coming to metro and it was a part of this series so we're like okay let's let's find an opportunity to cover it in a cool way yeah so look out for that double episode week october so your regular episode will come at you on thursday and just a handful of days later you'll have a not your final girl episode which we can't wait for a big old twofer (laughs) okay Let's get into the movies that we watched this week. So we got got a new release to kick things off. So we went and saw the 2022 comedy slash romance film Bros. It was directed by Nicholas Stoller, who I primarily know from being the director of Forgetting Sarah Marshall, which is one of my favorite comedies of all time. And I know you really love that movie as well. It was written... By Billy on the Street himself, Billy Eichner, and Nicholas Stoller. It stars Billy Eichner as Bobby, Luke McFarlane as Aaron, Eve Lindley as Tamara, and Jim Rash as Robert. The synopsis is two men with commitment problems attempt a relationship. Nice. <laughs> um, so we were, I think there was a degree of which we were looking forward to this because typically if something's coming out, and it's even a little bit gay. We're going to be <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, we'll, we'll be there. Yeah. And, you know, I myself am a Billy Eichner fan. I mean, I I really liked him on Parks and Rec. Yeah, I, I thought he was hilarious. And the Billy on the street stuff is pretty funny as well. But you are somebody that you find people yelling funny. I personally <laughs> am not. <laughs> Anybody <Yeah. laughs> yelling in a frustrated way you find quite hilarious. (laughs) This is true. So I think that's why you like Billy Eichner. Yes. This was also coming hot off the heels of the Edmonton International Film Festival and all of the films we saw there, which were, if you listen last week, After Sun was the last film we watched, and it was very heavy, it was very heady, it was very hearty. So (laughs) it was nice to kind of, you know, get us into something a little bit easier to consume. And we went with three of our best buds to uh to check this one out what do you think of bros so i think bros would be a movie that a lot of people would like yeah i think mm-hmm. but i don't like rom-coms yeah it's kind of a it's another genre that doesn't click for you not really i mean something that tries to subvert the rom-com or it's like a rom-com and something else i might be more interested in like a forgetting Sarah Marshall, mm-hmm. um, or I really like the show Love Life. I think it's an HBO show, um, the one that had Anna Kendrick, and then the second season had William Jackson Harper. So it's not like I'm anti romance, but the idea of like the proper genre of rom com with like two people and they've both got issues and they kind of <laughs> want to be together, but they also kind of don't, and then they are, and then they aren't, and then they are, and then they end up together, and mm-hmm. blah 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 blah. It's not something I seek out. Right. So in the grand scheme of things, when I think about how I'm pretty forgiving of even bad horror movies mm-hmm. because I just like horror, I'm not that way with rom-coms because even the best rom-coms, I'm kind of lukewarm on. Right. And that's a personal thing. I think you like rom-coms a little bit more than I do, but I still don't think you love them. I, I think I grew up watching more of them just because... My mom liked watching them. Well, my mom liked watching them too. She has taken me, when I would go to the movies with my mom, because my mom does like going to the movies. Mm-hmm. 
it'd often be like, what's that one with Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston? Just go with it? Yeah, like she's made me go to that with her. <laughs> <laughs> like, So she'll make me go to that with her and then I'll make her go to Sin City with me and she'll fall asleep and wake up and be like, why is he yellow? Yeah. Um, so, our, you know, it was kind of a, we will begrudgingly watch what the other person wants to watch just because we both like going to the theater. Mm-hmm. But I never really enjoyed it, I would say. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think you like them a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I I like how easy they are to consume. You also like love, and you're more of a romantic than I am, I think. Yeah, that's fair to say. I mean, when you left for work yesterday, I said, when you were walking out the door, I said, I love you, and you said, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> you told me that yesterday, and I'm like, I don't remember saying yeah. that. But it's okay, <laughs> you know, I, I think that... <laughs> I I know I know what's behind that. It's nice. What is behind the it's nice? I love you too. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sometimes I just want to make you like work, work for, for it. it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so just like to get back to bros, it had that going against it. So what it had going for it, gay, love, anything gay pretty much, I'm gonna give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably gonna like something the exact same movie. One's a gay version, one's not. I'm going to like the gay version better nine times out of ten. Mm-hmm. But it had going against it that like rom-coms just aren't really my thing. Mm-hmm. So it was it was very lukewarm to me like any other rom-com. The queerness of it didn't elevate it beyond a typical rom-com for me. But neither was it any worse than a typical rom-com. So it was just kind of like, yeah. That was a rom-com, and I'm glad it was a gay rom-com. And I'm glad that exists. And that was about it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Like, this was very okay to me. I mean, it did ha- it had some funny moments throughout it, but overall, it was a bit messy. There were some editing choices. There were some pacing choices. Yeah. There were some plot points that were there, and then they're dropped. I'm going to say is probably typical of a lot of rom-coms. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe that's a thing too, is that because we're not rom-com stands, we are maybe not hip to some of the tropes. Yeah. Knowing when it's like actually kind of making fun of them. Cause there was, you yeah. we kind of stood around with our, like the five of us who went and saw the movie um, after the movie and we're talking a little bit. And a lot of us thought the score was strange. And I was like, part of the, part of the movie there's like this meta commentary. Is, is it called Hallheart? There's like Hallheart movies. Yeah, which is riffing off of Hallmark. Hallmark and Luke yeah. McFarlane has starred in a bunch of Hallmark movies. And the music cues really seemed like Hallmark music cues. Yeah. Now, I'll be honest, I've never seen a Hallmark movie. Um, but they gave me that what I imagine those music cues would be like. So I don't know if that was meant to be campy and cheeky and like funny. But like, that, but that di- but I it didn't. I wasn't sure. Well, that's just it. Is it too smart for the audience? Too smart for me, maybe. <laughs> like, because you're trying to. I mean, I feel like you're getting a queer audience in the door with it being a queer love story, but also you're you're kind of pandering to the lovers of Hallmark movies or just rom coms. I don't know about Hallmark movies. Well, I mean, if they are in fact pulling tropes from those movies, and like that's what is kind of the main influencer too, which I don't know for sure, but that's, 
a big plot point is around these Hall Hall Hart movies. We have not done our research. We didn't like deep dive into the history of rom-coms and Hallmark movies. Yeah, so there's so here's an interesting thing. I hadn't really paid much attention to the discourse around this movie leading up to it, but then when we invited our three friends to come, I they had they knew a little bit more. And uh and then I started kind of hearing a little bit more and apparently there was a lot of guilt marketing. Like yeah. if you are gay, if you are queer, you need to see this movie to support a queer filmmaker mm-hmm. and to support a queer rom-com. And I, I didn't really hear too much about that afterwards, but I have read so many think pieces, so many Twitter threads, so many Reddit conversations about this since then. And it seems to be a really divisive thing here with, you know, Billy Eichner has said that it bombed because straight people don't want to see gay and it didn't bomb um but it didn't do as well in the box office as one might think and he's kind of said that it's because straight people don't want to see a gay love story um there's been some insinuation in certain like conversations about like you know queer people not showing up in droves enough to support it and then you know on top of that i've heard people saying but like it's trying to appeal to both audiences without actually nailing a focus on either one Mm -hmm. which there is a um a reason to do that. Mm-hmm. But then for people like you and me who like rom-coms aren't really our thing and what got us in the door is that it's a gay rom-com. We were kind of left being like, okay, yeah, that was a gay rom-com, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And for people who like rom-coms, but maybe weren't drawn to the fact that it was a gay rom-com, they might've been like, Oh, too much gay for me. Hopefully not. Yeah. When we were, when we got out of the movie and we were kind of standing around unpacking it. I was just kind of, kind of, my mind was flooded with the thoughts of, you know, in the pantheon of gay stories that have been told, some of mine and your favorites are Looking and um, like Weekend, like those two. Both made by the same person, yeah. Yeah, but those are just, I feel like they're so iconic, they're so impactful, and they're so real, and I just love that kind of storytelling so much, and I don't feel like bros is well, I, I appreciate that it's for the audience that it's for. And Billy Eichner wanted to do, wanted to tell this specific story. It's, it's not the genre or the kind of movie that is, is our jam. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate wanting to get a broader audience to come and enjoy that kind of story. But I, I think that now that I've seen bros and I've seen looking and weekend, I definitely gravitate towards the looking in the weekend that just delves a little bit deeper and has something, something that feels a, a little bit more tangible to say. And well, I don't is a little yeah. bit more beautiful in its storytelling. But I think that also comes down to just what you and I like in terms of story. Like there are people who I think will really like Bros. Yeah, who like that kind of a story because it's more plot based. You and I tend to like slice of life, character driven, emotion driven. You know, I think about. Like you've already said, if there's a queer filmmaker or creator at the center of something, we're probably going to have it on our radar. Like we really like work in progress. Please like me. Um, But I'm a cheerleader. Mm -hmm. You know, like those kinds of things are not necessarily that weekend. And weekend, I would say, has a similar vibe to an after sun. But 
with all of those stories, there's either like a subversion of the genre or a campiness or for the sake, like for in the case of work in progress or please like me as TV shows that we really like. Yes, there's queer creators. Yes, there's queer folks. But the focus isn't just on sexuality and romance. Like it's a bigger story than yeah. that. It's about this person and their navigation of life. And they are queer. So that's a part of the story. But it's not the central part of the story. You know, if I were to make more of a one to one, just kind of stylistic comparison of a movie similar to bros that I like better is happiest season. Yeah. Which but, also we didn't love as much as we thought we would. No, but still we've watched it two Christmases in a row. Yeah, we'll probably watch it again this Christmas. Yeah, like I, I love the vibe of that. I love the vibe of that, but I also really like the characters and the storytelling in that yes. a lot more than I did in Bros. Yes. That was a, a conversation we had afterwards. It's like, who is this movie for? Because there were some like genuinely really funny moments that might be lost or misinterpreted by a non-queer or non-allied audience mm -hmm. that like like there's a bit with Kristen Chenoweth that is like cry laugh worthy mm -hmm. and there's some really great great moments um and there's some really great secondary characters and um actors like Eve Lindley we really like from Dispatches from Elsewhere no is that what it's called yeah. Yeah. Okay. Got that right. But she's a, I didn't. She was a standout. Like for me, I, I I made note of her because I just want her to be in a lead role already. Yeah. Because I, I I love her so much. Yeah. So that was almost like a disappointment that a lot of these characters that uh, actually were really interesting and perhaps could help break the film from that traditional rom com. Well, that it obviously wants to be in. So I'm not going to tell it to be anything it doesn't want to be. Mm -hmm. Those were the moments I really liked, but they're almost just there to not get. The queer and queer allied audience to just walk like to be like I'm walking out the door mm -hmm. you know um, and there are some genuinely funny moments but they get bogged down by like the rom-com plot that doesn't interest me as as much especially like the central reason that Billy Eichner doesn't like the character of Bobby be doesn't believe that Aaron really likes him is like something I think we should be over <laughs> by now yeah um, so you know I was looking up a little bit of trivia after this, and I mean, a notable thing about it, yeah, I, I looked this up on IMDb trivia, is um, Bros has been heavily marketed as the first American gay romantic mm -hmm. comedy from a major studio that features an entirely LGBTQ principal cast, though technically Fire Island, mm -hmm. which came out earlier this year, and as another romantic comedy featured a prominently LGBTQ principal cast. But I thought I thought that was interesting that like Fire Island didn't go really heavy on that. I mean, I didn't also didn't see a lot of marketing for Fire Island because I, I think it was a straight to streamer. Mm -hmm. um, but like I see bro stuff everywhere. Like it's very heavily marketed. And yeah, I've been seeing that messaging out there a lot. And then Billy Eichner, like you said, has been very vocal about the kind of film that it is. And well, that's been a lot of a lot of frustration from queer folks is like this isn't the first. And like even, you know, I, I think it is it does a disservice to so much of the queer content that's come before to like herald itself as the first and only. Yeah. And like that it's like blazing this trail instead of honoring what's come before. Like I would be much more intrigued and 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 respect a lot more a hey, look at all these things that have come before us that haven't been given 
the attention they deserve. Mm -hmm. And we want to use this platform to recognize those instead of being like, hey, 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 we're the first and the best yeah. when, when they're not. Especially because, like, honestly, I liked Fire Island better. I didn't love Fire Island either, but mm -hmm. I liked it better. Yeah. And I thought it was a queerer story, personally. Yeah. I don't know. He seems to be, Eichner seems to be burning some bridges. Yeah. Which is disappointing. I wish that the the messaging and the marketing around this film was just a little bit more, especially now, post-release, was a little bit more positive and a little bit more... You know, like, hey, didn't do so hot, but like, we'd really love to have, see more people come out. And, you know, no matter who you are, I think that there's a there's a way you can enjoy this film. Instead, it's just like, you damn straights. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, probably true to some degree. But there was um, one of our friends we went to the movie with sent me a screenshot of a Los Angeles Times article that says the lesson of bros let gay art bomb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like you know as a queer person I often do feel a responsibility to not like denigrate queer media but it's also important to like remain critical yeah and like hold it to a standard and and, and want innovation and want well-rounded stories and you know I just keep coming back to who is this movie for because it wasn't for me mm -hmm. and uh, the audience freaking sucked yeah. Like that's who this movie is for, an annoying audience, let me tell you. I'm wondering if it is though, cuz e there even, you know, there is this there's a very weird audience. There's a, a specific group of people that were very chatty, talking at full volume, howling. There was one moment where they had a reaction that elicited a lot of laughs from us cuz it was just like really funny and ridiculous. Yeah, there was a really dramatic gasp at a moment that did not warrant a really dramatic gasp, which was like which was really funny, but then it, it happened a few yeah. more times. And, and then it just got annoying. Well, and at that point is like, is the movie for those people or are they taking up space f and taking the experience away from people who the movie is really for? I don't know. Then I just get in my head about it and I'm just like, well, what is, what is this movie even? <laughs> well, that's, that's what I mean. I think that you and I are approaching this from two very different perspectives. I'm saying, I think that that's the audience that has been, been attracted to this film based on its marketing. Right. That's what I mean when I say who is it for. It's the type of people that will just go see a movie and talk through it. Yeah. Well. Like that's who was there for the like that was a really big part of the audience. And I think this is not specific to bros. It's not specific to this gay rom com that Billy Eichner made. It's a problem I saw in another movie we saw this week mm -hmm. for a very similar reason. And I think that reason is an attempt to mass appeal to get people in the door mm -hmm. and then not have a focus that allows the movie to be anything other than lukewarm. Right. Good enough to not be bad, but bad enough to not be good. Yeah. Which is a problem I see in another movie we're going to talk about. Yeah. I hear that. How to make you feel disappointed. Yeah. I was, you know, I actually liked the trailers. I thought they seemed funny. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't pay much attention to, like I said, the discourse around what Billy Eichner was saying in his personal life or like on the internet or whatever. So I was hoping it was going to be so much funnier than it was. So I was hoping it would shake out of the rom-com tropes and archetypes and basic story plot mm. more than it did. And I think it's useful and important 
to have gay media that fits the mold of things that people like. And I think people are going to like this movie and I'm happy for them. It just wasn't a movie for me. Yeah, I agree. It wasn't a movie for me. And I, yeah, I too, I'm happy that more queer content is getting made and being presented to mainstream audiences. But yeah, as an execution, it didn't, it didn't land for me. Um, And yeah, it's, it's been a tough pill to swallow. Just kind of what Billy Eichner has been saying coming out of the release of the film. But, uh, yeah, uh, this is this is a movie for somebody, and I I think that's totally enjoyable. It has like a pretty good rating, so it's not like it's not a bad movie. It just yeah. wasn't for us. Exactly. Okay, let's move to the next one. I finally got to have a mystery movie pick. Yeah, <laughs> we've been seeing so many things in the theater, and it's not going to let up. But every once in a while, we're sneaking a mystery movie pick in, which is my favorite way to watch movies. I got to pick a Halloween movie, an October movie, a creepy movie. And I picked one that neither of us had seen before. I picked Reanimator. 1985 movie, comedy, horror, sci-fi. Definitely all three of those things. I did not realize the comedy bit. No, I didn't. I don't think I knew that. I think I I had a slight understanding that it was a little campy. Mm -hmm. But not, I I don't think I knew to what degree it was going to be. I didn't know as much about this movie as I thought I did. So it was directed by Stuart Gordon and written by Dennis Paoli and William Norris. And it's based on an H.P. Lovecraft story or series of stories. Mm-hmm. Stars Jeffrey Combs as Herbert West. Bruce Abbott as Dan Kane, Barbara Crampton as Megan Halsey. David Gale as Dr. Carl Hill and Robert Sampson as Dean Halsey. Synopsis. After an odd new medical student arrives on campus, a dedicated local and his girlfriend become involved in bizarre experiments centering around the reanimation of dead tissue. What do you think of Reanimator? You know, as pretty big horror fans, it's always really cool when we get to tick off another horror movie classic from the list of horror movies we have yet to see. Mm-hmm. And Reanimator is one of those that's been on the list for a long time. And it's, you know, it it's well known in the horror community. And I knew a bit about it, you know, just through some of the documentaries that we've watched and just whatever's in the culture uh, in the horror culture but so i've seen a couple of key parts from it but i didn't really know what the plot was and what some some of the other stuff that was going on in the film i mean this film was so ridiculous and it was so fun and gory beyond belief The, the gore effects were and they were just what an what an innovative group to come up with the things <laughs> that they came up with in terms of gore for this movie. Yeah, I genuinely feel if I had seen this when I was a teenager that this would be my Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. I feel kind of about it the way I felt when you showed me Little Shop of Horrors right. when I'm in my like late teens, early twenties, and being like, "Damn, I wish I saw this when I was a kid. I would have loved it. Like this would have been something I watched all the time." Mm-hmm. Um. Because it it does have this camp, but it still takes itself seriously and also really impressive gore. Yeah. And all of those things are combined together in a way that's really fun. So one of the producers, he said, uh, his last name is Yuzna, he said that they were hoping to make something with the shock sensibility of an evil dead, but the production value of hopefully the howling. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, okay. And I, I, th- I think they did it. Yeah, I think they nailed it. Yeah, it was 
like you said, way gorier than I thought it would be, which was awesome because I love me some gore. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was way funnier than I thought it would be. There was a scene that if I had seen it when I was younger, I feel like it wouldn't have bothered me as much as it does today. Like my tolerance for sexual violence, even just the threat of sexual violence has gone way down mm-hmm. as I've gotten older. I'm just like, I don't know that that needs to be in there. Um, and there's a pretty infamous scene, like as infamous as the tree scene in Evil Dead. that I was just like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know about that. In fact, uh, one of the actors involved, when his wife saw it, she stormed out of the room and said, how could you? <laughs> and then they got divorced shortly after, <laughs> yeah. as confirmed by the actors. So, yeah, it's not, it's not in, great. In, just in a film of innovative ways of using gore or using violence, I feel like there's just, um, I, I mean, it's definitely shocking, but I feel like you could you could push it a little bit farther and do something way better than kind of going to that. I mean, it was 1985. Um, so I think it's a product of its time. And I think that's the thing that stops this from being like a five out of five movie for me is I just wish the character of Megan was more and had more to do. Yeah, I just felt awful for her at the end of this movie. Yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, the actress was great. I have a, you know, that's my feelings and like my discomfort as I was watching that. But the actress, she said in um, 2014, and I really like this quote because I think I can have my own feelings about it and also respect the perspective she comes from. Mm-hmm. So she said, you know, 2014, she made the movie in 1985. Uh, this is a quote from her. Anything I did was always part of the film and part of the story. I don't think that anything I ever did felt like I shouldn't be doing this or I'm scared to do it or that it would hurt my career if I do it. There are a lot of people who are movie viewers who have very, very varying degrees on what they think and how they feel about sexuality and nudity. There's a lot of social and moral issues involved in people's minds and their upbringings. But for me as an actor, if it's part of the story, I'll do it and I'll probably continue to do it. I don't know if anybody's going to want to see a wrinkled old grandmother, Barbara Crampton, but if it's part of the story, I'll do it. <laughs> they should have cast her an ex. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I really appreciate hearing her perspective and that, you know, even 30 years later, she still has a uh, a strong confidence in that portrayal of that character and all of the choices that were made. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly controversial. She also said in a 2020 interview that she wasn't the first actress offered the role, but the actress who accepted it then showed her mother the script and the mother said, oh, you're not doing this. Oh. And <laughs> so then, <laughs> um, then it was offered to her. Mommy said. Mommy said no. I love that. But, you know, for as ridiculous and fun and gory as this was, I was kind of... When I was I was sitting with it after we watched it, I was kind of trying to dig a little bit deeper into some of the things it was saying. I mean, I think that for on one hand, it's looking at innovation mm-hmm. and the arrogance that surrounds innovation, mm-hmm. um, especially when it's innovation brought upon by just a single a singular person, mm-hmm. and just how precious they can get about their own ideas or their own innovation and who they choose to let in and who to keep out of that innovation i think it's a really good exploration to an extreme degree of you know the repercussions of that but it also i i feel i mean it's in the title but it also is this examination of uh us as human beings our fear of death and yeah i got that 
So I, I was kind of curious because this is something that you and I haven't actually really talked about, I feel. It's like, how do you, like, have you thought about death much? Uh, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't like to talk about it. It scares the crap out of me. Like, do you have, like, do you have uh, an idea or, like, what you hope death is like? Oh, my God. <laughs> no. I try to avoid thinking about it. I think I've told you this before. As a young child, like, I can think of being, like, seven, eight, nine, and thinking about the reality of being dead. And I was raised in a house without religion, so I've, you know, it wasn't until I was even like late elementary, early junior high that I even heard of the idea of an afterlife. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the narrative in my home was when you die, it's like before you were born, right? Mm -hmm. When I would think about that too much then and now, I feel like I'm going to implode. Mm -hmm. And it's the same feeling I have when I think about space and like the universe never ending, like this like never ending blackness. Mm-hmm. I don't really like talking about it, I'll be <laughs> honest. Something maybe I need to talk about in therapy. Um, yeah. You can briefly tell me your thoughts, and then I would like to move on from the subject. Yeah, I mean, I I actually haven't thought about it that much. And it does not, af- it does not affect me the same way that affects you. Like, brag much. Well, and it's just like, that's interesting to me, because like, I know that, I mean, the idea of getting older... And like me starting to like starting to grow gray and starting to feel pains I didn't feel before, it it hasn't really affected me that much. Like I, I I'm not concerned about getting older yet. Like I'm not having those feelings yet. Like I, I know it's happening to me, but I'm I'm not feeling those feelings, and thus I'm also not feeling a, a fear of death or what's going to happen when we die. I'll, I want to share this one story and then and then we'll, <laughs> then we'll move past this. It's just like I very vividly remember I was I was very young. Like I want to say I was between three and five. I remember I don't remember the details of the conversation, but I remember my parents kind of explaining the idea of what death was and that we all die mm-hmm. to me. And I remember breaking down crying and just like yelling, I don't want to die. And them having to give the well, you're not going to die anytime soon. <laughs> but then you got hit by a car. <laughs> so, That's the universe. Where you're yeah, like, they're like, don't <laughs> hold don't, my beer. <laughs> don't make promises you can't keep, mommy and daddy. <laughs> <laughs> mommy and daddy, we're coming for uh, you. It sounds to me, not to psychoanalyze you, but that you are very scared of death and you have just repressed the yeah, shit yeah. out of it. There is a. Uh, did we talk about that person who wrote the review of After Sun last week? I don't know if we did. <laughs> there was a review I saw that just said, the ending seemed really sad for some reason. And we were like, oh, you have repressed your ability to consciously recognize what <laughs> happened in that movie. Um, yeah, sounds like that's what you've done with the idea of death. Uh, you know, not consciously, but, you know, it'll, I'm sure it'll get me one day. Seems like we both probably shouldn't talk about this so i have some <laughs> and, and why we have it so maybe we have yeah maybe we have a little bit of work to do before we talk about it work to do i have some funny things though okay yeah hit me with it um so first of all there's a scene where the guy who plays herbert west jeffrey combs wanted to put on shoes socks shoes and then tie them 
And the director was like, no, no, Jeffrey, that's going to take too long. And he was like, hold my beer. Um, and it wasn't. He was very fast. And the IMDb trivia says, turns out he was a shoelace master. What does that mean? That he could tie his shoelaces really fast. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty great. Another funny thing, there's a a couple lines in the film that they like, it's one joke and then another joke plays off that joke. And I guess the director has said he really regrets the first joke because he thinks the second joke is stronger. And when it's played for audiences, they're laughing so loud at the first joke that they miss the second joke. Wow. Also a reason to watch things with subtitles. Um, and finally, when we were watching this, I kept telling you that the music sounded really familiar to me. Mm -hmm. I guess it's pretty much a direct ripoff of the Psycho score. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, th I can't remember. I should have written it down. Somebody who's like a higher level critic at the time said, I would rate this higher if it hadn't ripped off the Psycho score. Oh. Um, and you haven't seen Psycho, so it makes sense that it wasn't ringing bells for you. Mm -hmm. But I was just like, I know this score. I've heard it before. Um, so it did rip that off. And then I still haven't gotten a clear answer because there's a character named Hans Gruber in this. And the fellow, who uh, Bruce Abbott, who plays Dan Kane, spends like the last quarter of the movie running around in just a white tank top. Yeah, very John McClane. And I was like, is did like Die Hard pull inspiration from this movie? Like were the creators of Die Hard big reanimator fans and just wanted to put these little nuggets in or is it just pure coincidence? And there's nothing about it. I know. I'm like, I can't find anything that gives me a definitive answer one way or the other. I, I, yeah, I, I in most trivia, it's just like, oh, you know, coincidentally, there's Hans Gruber in this and Hans Gruber in Die Hard. It's like, what do you mean? Like, this is conspiracy level. Probably like like Die Hard's just a ripoff of Reanimator. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah, it's, I mean, an, an, a couple highlights for me too were the opening credits. Like, as we're watching them, we're like, whoa, like, this is really cool. They're cool and they're campy and they're like, that was the moment when I was like, oh, this movie is more than what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. I loved them. They were great. I was, when I was kind of looking up some stuff about it too and, you know, talking about how incredible the gore was in this, uh, there was a fact that the special effects department went through 24 gallons of fake blood during the shoot. And the special effects artist said the reanimator reanimator was the bloodiest film he'd ever worked on. In the past, he'd never used more than two gallons of blood oh, wow. on a film. Yeah, the blood was great. Yeah, it, it, was, it was awesome. And I love the I love how just like cheeky and tongue in cheek the whole thing was. I mean, there's a talking heads poster at one point. Yeah, which is just great. Jeffrey Combs is great at playing a creep. Like, oh, there's a line that we will quote forevermore where he just like shouts something that you don't expect him to shout one <laughs> yeah. word exclamation mark uh and you and i cackled so hard this is definitely one i'll watch again yeah i can't believe it's taken both of us this long to see it yeah i i agree how'd it make you feel uh i made me feel horrible for megan yeah um and it made me feel icky but in mostly the best way um and and also just kind of tickled like all those little all those little tip of the caps and those little tongue-in-cheek moments made me really happy and then to cap it all off when i re-looked at the poster for this the tagline is herbert west has a very good head on his shoulders and another one in a dish on his desk <laughs> and that is incredible <laughs> so yeah. that makes me very happy how to make you feel i was just honestly wildly entertained like i was with it from start to finish 
Yeah, I, I really wish that there was more for Megan to do, and that one scene is not my fave. Um, but other than that, I really, really loved it. Yeah, nice. Good pick. Thank you. I've been wanting to watch this next movie for a hot minute now. I chose it was I got to pick a mystery movie pick. I chose <laughs> the nineteen eighty four action drama family sports movie. <laughs> <laughs> Action, drama, family, sports. Can you, the listener, predict what movie this is going to be? <laughs> if you thought Rocky, you'd be wrong. It but is. if you thought Rocky for kids? <laughs> then you know we're watching The Karate Kid <laughs> from 1984. Uh, it was directed by John G. Avildsen, who I was looking at his filmography. So he directed three of the Karate Kid movies, but mm-hmm. he also directed the OG Rocky movie. Yeah, I know. And Rocky he, for kids. And then he did Rocky Five as well. But like the OG Rocky is very, very good. And we will watch it one day. Sure. But this guy just you got to appreciate those people that just have a thing and they just do it really well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was written by Robert Mark Karen, who also wrote Taken, the Transporter series and the beloved sci-fi film The Fifth Element. I think it's Robert Mark Kamen. Kamen? Mm-hmm. My apologies. Uh, he ain't a Karen. <laughs> Robert Mark is just walking in complaining about stuff. <laughs> Whatever. He came in and he was a Karen. <laughs> uh, it stars Ralph Macchio. <laughs> Let me say it again. Rafe Macchio. <laughs> Ralph Macchio. Do you need some help? As Daniel. Nope. Pat Morita as Miyagi. Elizabeth Shue as Allie. And William Zavala as Johnny. No, Zabka. Zabka? (laughs) I think I did my notes for this on my phone. So there is a (laughs) crazy amount of autocorrect that's happening. Zabka? (laughs) (laughs) See, aren't you glad? I just have to take a pause for a moment. (laughs) Let all of you who are listening know that I always, me, Kylie, always do the notes for even the movies I'm not going to talk about, the director, the writer, the cast, the synopsis. And Elliot does not. He only does the ones for the ones he's going to do. And I would just like to point out how often I come in with a save for him. Yeah, you're doing the Lord's work. (laughs) (laughs) William Zabka is the star of Cobra Kai. He can't get his name right. (laughs) Apologies, William. Yeah, you you don't deserve me. (laughs) Tell the people what the synopsis of the Karate Kid is. A martial arts master agrees to teach karate to a bullied teenager. Like I said, I've been wanting to rewatch this for a long time, but I wanted to, and I don't know why it popped into my mind. Maybe it was because Cobra Kai, a show I have not watched yet, uh, just dropped a new season, so maybe I had Karate Kid on the mind. But I there's a very specific part of this movie that takes place during Halloween. I'm like, I'm going to wait till October because this is a Halloween movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But what did you think of the Karate Kid? Okay, I have to tell you something. Mm -hmm. I've only seen this movie once. How old do you think you were when you watched it? I know exactly how old I was because I know exactly when I watched it. Oh, okay. It was the day we brought Frankie home. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Who Who's Frankie? (laughs) He's my childhood cat. Yeah. He's my cat brother. He's he's no longer around. Um, We got him when I was six years old. And I remember because I had this little dolly chair for my dolls. Well, actually, I didn't dolls for my stuffed animals. Um, 
I had a teddy bear that often sat in that little chair. And little baby Frankie slept in that chair while we all watched Karate Kid. Oh, that's It was adorable. the first movie that Frankie ever watched. That's the only time I've seen it. So I actually don't really have a memory of the movie, but I have a memory of me and my siblings who like we would have been three, six, nine, and 12. And we had lost our two cats. We had two cats and they had both passed away and we had gotten this new cat. And if you know anything about the Burton family, we friggin' love cats. <laughs> like My mom has a cat. My sister has a cat. My other sister had three cats who are all unfortunately no longer here. My brother has two cats. We have a cat. We love cats. So like bringing Frankie home was like really important. Mm-hmm. And like he was such a big part of our family. And movies were a big part of my family in general. And that was what we did when we brought our little kitty brother home is uh, we watched a movie and it was The Karate Kid. That is the cutest thing I've ever heard. And I did not know that story. I know. I was going to tell you when we were watching it and then I was like, save it for the content. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So it was the day you brought him home and he sat in your little chair. Mm -hmm. But his favorite movie was The Man in the Iron Mask. (laughs) (laughs) So this was his first movie, but it wasn't his favorite movie. And we say that because when we watched The Man in the Iron Mask, he like kept his head up and his eyes open. But during The Karate Kid, he slept. I love that so much. (laughs) So, yeah. uh, I met I met Frankie, I mean, definitely closer to the end of his life, but he lived a long life. Was he 22? No, he was 15. <laughs> no, he was 22. No, he was 15. <laughs> we got him when I was six and he passed away when I was 21. <laughs> what, what are your facts today? I like that you just threw seven extra years onto his life. I mean... <laughs> that guy lived a long yeah day. he passed away when i was 21 but he and I can't, oh but yeah he was, <laughs> that's how old you were oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, i mean i wish but uh All he right. did live a good life <laughs> <laughs> minus the diabetes <laughs> <laughs> always minus the diabetes okay what let's wh- stop talking about my childhood cat and talk what did about you th- what did you think of rewatching karate kid for the first time since that fir- <laughs> since the first time honestly i loved it like, yeah, honestly, yeah. i really loved it i didn't really remember anything about it other than like wax on wax off mm-hmm. and like the fly and the chopsticks yeah that's all i really remembered because those are just like iconic movie moments yeah daniel's a great character like yeah. he's just like a good kid mm-hmm. like he's a kid with like a good head on his shoulders and the way he's treated by like Johnny and the other crew is just like profoundly unwarranted and unfair. So it's like really easy to get behind him right away. And he's like so kind to his mom. And the moments where he starts to get frustrated are like understandable. Mm-hmm. So like it's just it's so easy to root for him. And actually, like it's a really long movie. Like it's almost two hours long. Mm-hmm. Like I surprising that it's considered like a family movie because it really has like that feature length and i know that kids movies can be feature length but it just feels more like a regular movie that kids might also like yeah as opposed to a movie made for kids what did you love you said you watched it repeatedly as a kid yeah how did this two-hour movie hold your attention Um, i mean you also liked jaws but (laughs) this is true um I mean, first of all, that makes me really happy because now that you've watched and really liked Creed and rewatched and really liked The Karate Kid, I am fully on board for rewatching Rocky with you. So maybe I like sports movies 
when they're about like a like a I know karate and boxing are not the same thing, but when it's like in a ring two people mm-hmm. and it's like like an individual sports thing that's like tied to this character mm-hmm. and their inner development as opposed to a team. Yeah. Maybe I actually like sports movies. We haven't seen Creed 2 yet, right? I don't think so. Nice. Well, they're making Creed 3 too, so. Oh, wow. Yeah. Same guy too. Googler? Yeah. I think so. Wow, cool. Yeah, I'm there for it. So, yeah, this was a movie that I rented a lot as a kid. Like rented? I, you didn't even own it? I didn't own it, but it was one of those movies that I would always be like, oh, I'm renting the Karate Kid again. Uh, or I'd catch it on TV. And I... So there's a few things that I really love about it. The first thing was that Daniel... The Daniel and Allie storyline always gave me butterflies. <laughs> this See, is, what did I say? You're a friggin' romantic. I probably yeah. would have been like, I don't care about this at all. I like that he's buds with Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> Get back to that stuff. <laughs> yeah, honestly, Get to the karate. <laughs> for, for real. You and I are different people. Takes, takes all kinds. But specifically, there's a scene where they go on a date or a sequence where they go on a date in this film. And that part when I was a kid, I'm just like, Man, that's so cool. You couldn't wait until you got to go on dates? Yeah. I'm like, that seems like so much fun. <laughs> wow. Granted, I wish even now I was as sociable as Daniel is. Oh, that kid has charisma? For dates. Yeah, like you wouldn't believe. And like, honestly, if I had been watching that when I was older, I would have had such a, like not older, but like not six. Mm-hmm. Like when I was like junior high age, I probably would have had such a big crush on him. Do you know what's nuts? He's he's 22. <laughs> I read that afterwards. He, I think I made a comment while we were watching the movie that like it's so nice to see teenagers who look like teenagers. Well, I guess the crew, too. I was reading the trivia. The crew, like no one believed him. Like when he said he was 22. He looks like he's 14. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he no longer looks like he's 14. So he definitely grew into a man. But, but like, good for him. Wow. Good for him. Yeah. His body was just like, we're keeping this prepubescent yeah, we, body. <laughs> we are staying young as long as we can. Maybe he had some kind of witchcraft. Probably. I mean, a deal with the devil. Yeah. Or like the Indiana Jones thing. He'd like drink from the cup. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. But like in real life. Yeah, yeah. 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 Who gave him the cup? Do you think Walt Disney? Probably Pat Morita. You're probably right. Yeah. Um, but I love the story. Yeah. I, I mean, I I really love the way that you're really loving this story, this character arc and development and them, you know, kind of reaching like the end. They're having this big match and it's kind of a test of everything they've learned up throughout the whole runtime of the movie. I, I loved that as a kid. And I was re- I really gravitated towards that. And it's fun. And I really like the characters. I really like Daniel. I like Ali. I like Miyagi, obviously. But rewatching it now, I have so much appreciation for the writing of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, a few things in particular. I mean, the way that in Jurassic Park, for example, they have a, 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 a lunchtime scene where they're kind of talking about the, not the logistics, but the potential repercussions of and the and the the, uh, the morality. Mor- yeah, thank you. The morality of Jurassic Park as an idea. When I was a kid, I checked out of that scene. I'm just get me back to the dinosaurs. And I totally checked this out to the point I did not remember it, but Mr. Miyagi's backstory hits like a brick now mm-hmm. as an adult. And I think they're so subtle with it. The way that they deliver 
that information and the way that it comes to Daniel is really thoughtful and really emo- really emotional scene and really well done. Uh, and you, the next thing that you talked about already is the relationship between Daniel and his mom. Mm-hmm. It's not typical of a lot of other sort of like like thinking about E.T. Like the mom is very like in the background. And I mean, like the mom's not at the fore- foreground here, but there's a depth to the relationship where they really love and care about each other. But there's co- there's complicated feelings that exist in there from both of them. And there's even reflection points for both of them throughout the story that are really thoughtful and nice. That well, I really how great that that comes across without needing all this big backstory and exposition. And I think, I mean... Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like it's pretty forward thinking in 1984 to have a single mom and a kid and not once is the fact that he doesn't have a dad around an issue. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a plot point at all. Like his mom is enough. Yeah. And like they like clearly love each other. They're willing to hear each other out. Like it's this movie isn't about a kid who like is lamenting not having a dad. Like it's not even, it's a non-issue. Yeah. It's like, it's a movie that shows different family structures Mm -hmm. and just presents it as it is, which is kind of like when we're talking about bros and saying we love queer content, but we like that to just be a part of the story. Not like, Oh, come see this because it's a gay version of a movie that you've seen before. Yeah. Like this is not like, come see this PSA on how a single mom can be a good parent. It's just, yeah. hey, we're seeing a different family structure in here. Yes. And it's not a, it's not a central part of the story. And I mean, I'm going to I'm going to shout out Mac and me again. Like there's an accessibility and an like a just showing somebody who lives with a disability in Mac and me. Mm-hmm. And if that movie had been successful, that would be a really innovative part of the not innovative that's that's the wrong word but important part of the story and not once is that a hindrance to the character not mm-hmm. once is that a central plot point it's just here is a character and this is a way that they live their life and i think that is so invaluable and in fact i think karate kid is far more forward thinking than bros is i agree and i, I controversial think you, statement but, but no i hit, i think you hit the nail on the head of w- of exactly why a story like bros didn't hit for me. And it's because like those other examples we use do that where, you know, being gay is just who they are, but it's not the plot of the movie. And yeah, bros is a capital P capital S capital A. <laughs> Pumpkin spice, spice uh, amenities. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I no, I really love how you put that. Um, and yeah, I was a big fan of the relationship here. Um, I like I like the Daniel and Allie storyline. I mean, it, it it's it's a little clunky at some points, but I I really love where it nets out for the two of them in their relationship. Plus, I think that one of my favorite bits is the reveal of how Daniel has been learning karate throughout the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, like I feel like as an audience, the story. The storytelling does such a good job to put us in Daniel's shoes and we share in his joys, we share in his frustrations. And so when the reveal happens, if you're seeing it for the first time, you're kind of like, oh my God, amazing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want to talk about one of the most iconic scenes that is one of my favorite movie moments of all time. And I can't get into... 
I can't get into like super detail, but it's near the end of the movie. And good thing you correct me on the name, William Zapka. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is good gracious. Uh, but it his character of Johnny, it's near the end of the movie. And it's all conveyed with a look. Um, mm. It's a moment between him and his sensei. And it's kind of in the big, it's in the middle of the big cli- climatic moment of the movie. And William Zabka just gives a look to his coach after his coach tells him to do something. And you see horror, you see terror, you see just this like, this is a man I revere. This is a man I look up to. And he's telling me to do something I would never make the choice to do on my own. It gives so much depth to the character of Johnny because he is presented as just like this bully, classic bully. And you come to realize, I mean, this is a movie about dads. Yeah. Through Miyagi and Crease, right? Yes. And that's a moment where you understand the foil between Crease and Miyagi without it having to be spelled out for you. Like mm-hmm. this movie gives so much faith to its audience to understand the complexities without having to give you an exposition dump about them. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. No. And that scene, it just, it, it is, it's always kind of hit me and resonated with me because of that reason, because that Johnny has been this bully, this guy that we're against the whole time. And it's the first time that we feel sorry for him or we feel empathetic towards him and his situation and the fact that he's a kid being put in this situation is fucked up like it's really powerful i can understand why they gave him his own show (laughs) so many years later um and yeah but there is something you need to know if you don't already okay so the actor who played crease yeah in 2019 he was the star of a commercial for quickbooks (laughs) <laughs> which yeah, is yeah. a finance managing software yeah. in which he reprised his role of crease and explained in the commercial that his hostility as a dojo leader was due to his inability to manage finances effectively <laughs> and that his new software, courtesy of QuickBooks, has made a kinder, more gentler dojo and he has renamed it Koala Kai. I've got to watch this as an <laughs> as an advertiser. That's that, brilliant. That is so good. Yeah, I love yeah. that so much. So we can't give him too much flack. He couldn't manage his finances. Okay, two things. I I love that so much. I think that we find that online, and we'll put a link in the show notes if we can find it. It it'll be in the show notes. Show notes. But there's also this other ad that uses the Karate Kid that I. I've been re I've been re I rewatched a ton when I was younger and I've been rewatching it now and I've shown it to people at work. So my favorite band growing up was Blink One Eighty Two, and there was a company called Macbeth started by the guitarist and singer Dom DeLonge that was like a footwear company. And called Macbeth. Macbeth. Interesting. Yeah. Did not know. Um. They also had a clothing line called Atticus with fin- a Finch as the logo. So. Did Tom DeLonge just want people to think he was well-read with when he's only read the classics? <laughs> yes. You do realize everyone likes Macbeth, right? <laughs> but he had this company called Macbeth Shoes, and they did this ad that they they typically put out, they, they sponsored a lot of like punk bands and like pop punk bands, and they did this ad where they took the final scene of Karate Kid and had this 
punk music playing over top and it was timed to moments in the final scene perfectly. And then at the very end, the very end of the movie ends on a freeze frame. And if you know what it is, you know what it is. But it pans down at the end to reveal that he's wearing Macbeth shoes. Oh, that's awesome. That's clever. And it is fucking sick. (laughs) (laughs) So... I will put a link to that in the show notes Honestly, as well, because you and I'm going to show you right after we're done this recording. Whole movie slaps. Like the Halloween scene is great. I'm going to steal your joke in that it's the first sighting of Phoebe Bridgers' backing band. <laughs> yes, and also the soundtrack's great. So like, good. This whole movie freaking slaps. There's a reason it's a classic, and I actually think it's pretty rare for me to rewatch something from the 80s that's like a family film and and love it but i was like i freaking love this whole movie i'll watch it again i want to show it to our our nibblings like i want to metro cinema i don't think you're listening but if you are can you program the karate kid for a real family cinema uh, afternoon so we can take our our nieces and nephew yeah i agree with you i absolutely love this i still love this i might try to sneak in part two and three at some point. <laughs> I don't know if those are supposed to be good, but all right. Uh, how to make you feel? I, it, it made me feel really invested, really engaged, and honestly really interested in watching Cobra Kai. Like, I know mm. so many people love it. Just coincidentally, the day you picked Karate Kid, I heard some students talking about watching the new season over lunch hour. They were talking about it and how much they like it. Well, they were actually having a very interesting conversation about how they find watching a two hour movie too long, but that they'll binge an entire show in one sitting. Yeah. And like, they were reflecting on that, like that, like that, that doesn't square up (laughs) because a two hour movie is not as long as binging an entire TV show. And then they brought up binging all of Cobra Kai. And I, I was thinking about how so many people like Cobra Kai and how I'm interested in it. And it like, you know, it focuses on Johnny as the main character, but it has, you know, so much of the cast, the original cast in it. Mm hmm. Which to me generally signals like, A, the original content was good enough and was rich enough that this can exist as part of the universe. Mm -hmm. And also that likely these people had a good enough experience making these films that they still want to be a part of it and they're proud of the characters. Yeah. And that just makes my heart so warm. So I'm, I'm interested in watching it. Hell yeah. I will say that I do know for a fact that characters from parts two and three show up in the show. So we need <laughs> to oct- do our homework. <laughs> it's October. We can't watch all of them. <laughs> How did it make you feel? Pumped up. Um, <laughs> wow. Your energy is through the roof Ooh, right now. Man, I love this movie. Uh, it hits me right in the heart, right in the feels. Makes me feel so many things. Uh, it was great revisiting it. I'm so glad that you loved it and that it's, you know, on a lower scale pumped you up as well. Too. Also, it was the first movie my cat ever saw. That, I my love first that story. Cat. What a great story. I love it. All right. Let's, talk, let's talk about. Yeah. R.I.P. Buddy. Let's talk about something not as good. Oh, boy. OK. We um, theaters let us down this week. I got to say both the content and the audiences. So we'd heard some really great things percolating about the new movie smile 2022 horror movie and we were like we gotta see it we gotta see it opening week so we went and saw smile directed and written by parker finn starring sosie bacon as rose cotter jesse t usher as trevor kyle gallner as joel that's fine that's enough um <laughs> i have three more people written down but 
Screw them. <laughs> Get out of here. Uh, the synopsis is, after witnessing a bizarre traumatic incident involving a patient, Dr. Rose Cotter starts experiencing frightening occurrences that she can't explain. What do you think of Smile? I mean, we... I was hopeful for this going in because we had heard it wasn't bad. <laughs> and it had as an okay rating. And it's so funny because after we went and saw it, so many people were like, hey, I heard this wasn't bad. What do you guys think of it? Like, it's the narrative that everybody who's a horror fan is being fed is this isn't bad. And that's, I mean, honestly, that's in horror. That's a resounding compliment. Yeah. And I'm going to say it wasn't bad. Yeah. But I didn't like it. Yeah. It's not bad. I agree. But I, it is the horror version of bros. It's lukewarm. Yeah. And I mean, it didn't help that the audience was absolute piss. Oh, as well. absolute piss. Ugh. It, like we we moved seats, we did a little bit of musical shares to just get away from well, yeah. some people. I don't know if you heard this, but like the movie's just started. It's the opening scene. There's two people behind us, and the movie opens. This isn't. I don't think this is a spoiler. It's the opening scene with a person laying on a bed, mm-hmm. and the the person behind me just goes dead <laughs> so loudly, and I was like, I can't. I've been doing this more. I'm trying to like listen to myself and and instead of like being retroactively annoyed about something take proactive action in the moment to avoid my annoyance mm-hmm. and i just said i can't sit by these people it's the second time i've done it in the last couple of weeks where i'm like we have to move cuz i i can't deal with point out the obvious behind us like like yeah. why do you why did you need to say that yeah well say it in your brain well and then just me with my undiagnosed ADHD, we've moved seats, but it's assigned seats. So we're yeah. running the risk of sitting in somebody else's seat. And people are still trickling in like 20 minutes into yeah, the I movie. Yeah, I have never, that's a bold statement. I have rarely seen people coming in so late. Like so many people coming in a lot. so late. Yeah. I wasn't too worried about it. Like if somebody was like, you're in our spots, I would have been like, yeah, no problem. We'll move. There was just noisy people behind us and the movie had started. So we figured it was safe. But I'm so pulled out of watching the movie and paying attention because I'm worried we're in somebody's seats. So I'm and I see more people trickling in. I'm like, God, we're going to have to move again. This is going to be awful. And then the wildest thing of of uh, well, before I get to that, it was also a very crinkly crowd, very yeah. loud snacks. Like Which is there was somebody cause... trapped in a chip bag that was trying to get out in this movie. And that's a feat that we could hear that because the movie's really loud. Yes. Like, this, like when the movie Cranked. started. So bros, interestingly, as soon as the movie started there, I was like, I don't think they have the volume loud enough. Like bros was very quiet. I don't know if it was a movie issue or if like the theater didn't have the volume set to where it should have been. But for smile, it felt like they had the volume set too high. I was like, this is genuinely hurting my ears. And like, you know how loud I listen to music in the car. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I do. I was like, like, honestly, that movie was too loud for me. I wasn't covering my eyes. I was plugging my ears when I anticipated a jump scare was coming because it was so loud, mm-hmm. like ear splitting loud in a way that is like not necessary. So I was genuinely plugging my ears whenever I thought a jump scare was going to happen. There's plenty of those. Yeah. Um, but the wildest thing in, in terms of the audience is that, again, I feel like we were like halfway through the movie if maybe about an hour into the movie where a person walks in with like a child, like a, yeah. like a small kid. Like I'm going to say under 10 years old. Yeah. And this is a pretty horrifying, pretty, pretty violent movie. Yep. 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 
Disturbing um, imagery. Yeah. And there was a scene that came that came and went and was very creepy, very loud. And the kid beelined out of the theater, followed <laughs> by, by an adult of some kind. Yeah. I just and I don't know. Like, that's such a curious thing to me to show up an hour into a movie, into a, a like a horror movie that you presumably don't know much about with a child and think like, yeah, we'll give it a try. I mean, my mom took me to the ring when I was 12 and that was too young. Mm. I was very scared of that movie. I did have a student after we saw it, was talking about going to see it. And I said, I, we were just talking about it. And then the student said to me that they were thinking of bringing their little brother because their little brother wanted to go. And I believe their brother's eight. To and I said, I think that's too young. To what movie, sorry? To Smile. Oh, And I yeah. said, I think that's too young. And then they did go and see it sometime later that week with their mom and I think their aunt and told me we didn't bring my brother and it's a good thing we didn't. But yeah. they were going to. I mean, I like who am I? Like, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to gauge what children should be going to and what parents should be doing with their kids. But, like, you know, thinking about our ten-year-old niece, who I know loves Stranger Things and watches it on repeat, I, I mean, I feel like she's even too young to take to smile. Yeah, I do think there's something to be said if like the kid asked to go. And then the kid says, I want to leave and honoring both of those things. I think it's, you know, teaching somebody to set their own limits and yeah. honor their own limits. And I'm all for that. Yeah. But I don't know this. I don't know the story of what happened there. Yeah. I don't know if there's a conversation that happened or if the kid's like, nope. <laughs> I just think we'd be cut out of um, our nibblings lives if we tried to take any of them because the oldest is 10 and the youngest is one year. Um, if we tried to take any of them to smile, <laughs> I think we'd be in more hot water than when we watched we showed our 10-year-old niece Edward Scissorhands when she was four and got in like such big trouble for that. <laughs> We've never lived it down. Yeah. Okay. So that's the audience experience. In terms of the movie itself, a little bit about me. Creepy, smiling stuff is my horror movie kryptonite. I think that if you have just really wide, toothy smiles and wide eyes you're you're giving me the, the chili willies. And then for me, take that smile, grab the jaw and pull it down really far. <laughs> and that's mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a gaping elongated mouth that's like unnaturally elongated or elongated limbs. Mm -hmm. That gets me. That gets me too. Yeah. Oh, um, well, it's all about you. huh? <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. Gets me too. Yeah. But I think I was expecting... I mean, from a movie called Smile and from seeing, I mean, I will say this movie had some pretty good marketing. The mm -hmm. first trailer we ever saw for this, I, I was in and mm -hmm. it had a bit of that stuff that started giving me the chilly willies. And I'm like, okay, okay. And I was, I was very let down uh, by the lack of use of it. Well, I wouldn't say there's a, yes. Okay. I think that it could have been the only thing they used and it isn't. And most of the moments they use it were in the trailer. Yeah. So had they not all been in the trailer, they might have been more effective. And because the trailer was everywhere, mm -hmm. there was no escaping it. We've seen it so many times. Like the marketing budget on this must have been very high and effective seemingly. But the trailer gave away all the best parts of the movie. Yeah. That which sucks. is like, I'm 
I might just be done with trailers entirely. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, the good things about this movie were I thought it was acted very, very well. Yeah, Sosie Bacon in particular is really great in it. Yeah. And I thought the score was really good. Mm-hmm. Like, is they did some very creepy things with the music and with the sound design, also kind of intermingling with the music. I thought it was really good. But like we started talking about a little bit, its reliance on jump scares was a little ridiculous, mm-hmm. uh, especially given how loud they were. It's almost like they were given the orders to crank the volume because we have a ton of jump scares and we really want to get to people. But as a couple of horror movie vets that <laughs> we are we're pretty prepared for when a jump scare is coming. And I don't find jump scares scary. I like things that are more understated. Well, I mean, jump scares are effective. I jumped a lot, but it's more about, you know, Stephen King has that thing he says about um, the types of horror. Do you know this? I think you've told me this before. So he he says there's the gross out, the horror, and the terror. Yeah three levels of horror um and i was just access denied when i tried to click on something (laughs) (laughs) where are you going Uh, don't go in the dark web (laughs) regmovies.com let's go okay he says in his book don's macabre which highly recommend it's a history of horror it's really great the three types of horror the gross out the sight of a severed head tumbling down a flight of stairs it's when the lights go out and something green and slimy splatters against your arm the horror, the unnatural spiders the size of bears, the dead waking up and walking around. It's when the lights go out and something with claws grabs you by the arm. And the last and worst one, terror. When you come home and notice everything you own has been taken away and replaced by an exact substitute. It's when the lights go out and you feel something behind you. You hear it. You feel its breath against your ear. But when you turn around, there's nothing there. Yeah. I None like- of those are jump scares. It is not a type of terror. Yeah. not a type of horror it's a sensory overload yeah that causes you to feel discomfort yeah i don't like it i don't like it i don't like it either i'd say like of those three it's probably most closely linked to horror but it's it it's i don't know i mean i think of i think of the scene in signs in the cornfield where you see the alien leg and it turns and goes into the corn and mm-hmm. it's just a very subtle like music cue. Like it's a piano score that, or the that starts up. hand under the yeah, pantry yeah, door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, or the ba- the birthday party. <laughs> like those are brilliant because it's not relying on like a wow to get you. They're so quiet and understated but still make you jump. And uh, when it comes to jump scares, those are my favorites that stick out in my mind. Yeah, when it's, when it's earned... I'm there for it. This is, it felt like, so this is what I put on Letterboxd, that this just felt like a movie threaded together by exposition and jump scares. And then these occasional moments of like really strong eeriness, acting visuals that are lazily stitched together by Mm. exposition and jump scares. Yeah. And so I'm mad at this movie because I think it could have been great. Yes. And instead, like bros, it's just fine. Yeah. It's not bad. Some people, you know, if I saw this when I was 13, I probably would have loved it Mm -hmm. because I wouldn't have seen the things that it borrows from that were more interesting Mm -hmm. or more innovative, like it follows. And 
I personally love the ring, both yeah. versions of it. I, you know, I saw the American one when I was too young and it's emblazoned in my brain. Um, it just, it's so over the top and I wanted it to be more subtle. Yeah. And then with that over the topness, it, it also like wants to say something smart. Mm-hmm. But then to me where it ends is troubling both narratively. Like it doesn't make sense for the narrative of the film. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to me visually. Some of the choices they make at the end, it doesn't, it doesn't connect with the visual template that's been established throughout the film. And then also discursively, like the message that's being attempting to be, you know, put out there. I also find troubling. Yeah. And like that took it from being like, yeah, it was okay to being like, I don't know. I think I like have an issue with it. Yeah. You read me a a response to it from a reviewer and it was extremely well put of, because I, it was sitting with me and it wasn't sitting with me in a fearful way uh, or I was scared way, but the, the way that the story netted out, I'm like, that's, that's troubling. Mm -hmm. And that, that upset me Mm -hmm. about the movie. Mm -hmm. It's just, it, it leaves you with a bit of a feeling of, you know, was this kind of style over substance or like looking for like shock value just for the sake of shock value yeah, it's uh, one or to of be those, titillating. Yeah, I don't know. It's one of those movies that like, if it hadn't ended the way it had, I probably would have been like, yeah, it was pretty good. But then on a rewatch, when like I know exactly when the jump scares are coming and I know exactly where the movie's going, I think I'd be pretty disenchanted with it. Whereas yeah. most of my favorite movies on rewatches, they just become stronger and I reform the parts and connect them in ways I hadn't before. And you know, a movie that we really liked that a lot of people didn't, or that was very, um, I feel like Smile is very divided. Yeah. And a- another movie that was like this, but we fell on the side of really liking it was The Black Phone. Right, yes. And there's a part of me that feels like when we rewatch The Black Phone, we, we won't like it as much as we did the first time. Yeah. And I wonder for people who really liked, who did like Smile more, if they might feel that way on a second watch where they're like, oh... On rewatch, actually, I don't like it because I, I have a feeling when we rewatch the black phone, I won't be as enchanted with it as I was the first time. Yeah. But we'll see. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of like it's good acting. It's really engaging visually and sonically, but like for what? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's coming out at a time where it's following three amazing horror movies that have come out this year. X Pearl and Barbarian three, which we really, we really liked. Those are also pretty divided movies. Like people tend to be giving them like one or two out of five or like four or five out of five. Yeah. 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 But I mean, that's horror in general, I think. Yeah. I don't know. What'd you think of smile? Or no, sorry. We've talked about that. How did (laughs) smile make you feel? You know, when it comes, I always get excited when there's a big budget horror movie that's coming out because that means that they have budget to do some cool things. And so often I'm just left a little disappointed. Mm-hmm. And that's how I felt here. Just disappointed. I was frustrated. And uh, I also think that I still want the ultimate scary smiley face story to be told. To be told. Because when I was little... The Joker from Batman the Animated Series was like peak creepy smiley face guy. And the Grinch, you don't like that. I don't like the one scene in the animated Grinch either when he does the big, big smile. It freaks me out. But I, I still think there's a creepy smile movie that needs to be made. 
and I'm disappointed it wasn't this one. And the sad thing is that because this movie's been made, they have the best title. <laughs> I was going to no, yes, but I was going to say because this movie has been made, another might not be because it'll be like ah, it's already been done. Yeah, right? yeah. How make you feel? I frustrated. Yeah. I felt like there was a lot of promise in this, and there is skill from everyone involved. Like this director is clearly skilled. The actors are que- clearly skilled. There is a nugget of really interesting stuff in the writing and there's occasional moments where I found the I found the writing really strong mm-hmm. when it wasn't in exposition mode um, and I just felt like all of that promise was squandered for the sake of like bros trying to appeal to everyone to get people into the theater to make them money and who cares if they ever watch it again yeah I want my movies to have the faith in themselves that they will be on repeat in my house you know, that they think they will get me to watch it again and again and again. Yeah. That's this the, movie isn't trying to do that, I don't think. You hear that? Movie companies? That's the bar. <laughs> That's the bar. <laughs> and you better reach it. It's been set. All right. Last movie. We are going way back to 1960 with this drama horror film, Eyes Without a Face. Great title. Such it. a great title. And the Criterion cover, so good. Yeah. So it was directed by Georges Franju, sorry, real French people, and written by Pierre Bolio and Thomas Narcejac, <laughs> <laughs> based on the novel by Jean Redon. Uh, I don't know if I said any of those things right. It sounded good to me. Thank you. And uh, the novelist was a part of writing the screenplay as well. Mm-hmm. To hear me say some other French names, I probably won't say perfectly. It stars Pierre Brasseur as Le Docteur Genessier, Alida Valley as Louise, Juliette Maniel Manier as Edna Gruber, and Edith Scobe as Christiane Genessier. Sorry, everybody. Scobe. <laughs> Scobe. Uh, the synopsis is a surgeon causes an accident which leaves his daughter disfigured and goes to extreme lengths to give her a new face. And if that ain't a creepy synopsis, I don't know what is. Creepy peepy. What did you think of Eyes Without a Face? Yeah, this is getting to the stuff in the 60s that we really like. Oh, yeah. We we have so much to mine in the 60s that we've only recently discovered we want to uncover. Yeah. Um, There's just a vibe from the 60s stuff Mm -hmm. that's just... Very stylish. And it's totally on display here from the cars to the wardrobe to the architecture and decor. And then the framing that's so photographic. Yeah. Like that's that's been a big thing with the 60s stuff we really like um, is, yeah, the composition and cinematography. Yeah. Very photographic. And this movie felt very, I mean, <laughs> speaking like I know a lot about Ingmar Bergman having seen one of his films, but <laughs> This felt Bergman-esque with some of the ways that the frame would just be locked on something and there'd be an action that happens within that frame. Mm-hmm. And it just looks gorgeous. And it's it's in black and white, so it's just chef's kiss all around in the aesthetic that this that this film's putting out there the whole time. Um, in terms of the creepy peepee, the mask that our main character wears, what's her name again? Christiane. Christiane, like... It's so creepy and uncanny. Mm-hmm. It just looks like a real face. But then it's not a real face. Yeah. And then paired with these like really elegant like nightgown 
dresses that seem like Balenciaga. <laughs> like they seem like they seem uber fashionable. It's just like eerie in that gothic horror sense. And it's also coupled with her body language, which is just very, she's just kind of wrapped up in herself. It's very, she creeps. Yes. She creeps around the house, yeah. which, is, which is very, like it makes me think of the yellow, the short story, the Charlotte Perkins Gilman short story, the yellow wallpaper, mm. where like the, you know, the ending of that, she's creeping. Yeah. Like I love that, that word. Um, yeah. The mask. That is some good stuff. <laughs> But, you know, this, again, was another film where I was kind of sitting with it, much like Reanimator, and kind of like wanting to think a little bit deeper about some of the things it's exploring. And, you know, I I didn't really look up any trivia or anything for this. But, you know, I think that blatantly it's a kind of a critique on beauty, but it's also looking at man specifically, man's idea of beauty and what man thinks is desirable and what like what society will accept as beautiful yeah, I don't or even know. normal quote, I don't unquote. even know if I would say desirable since it's a father and a daughter I would say like acceptable yeah which like feels harsher yeah like you, you're either acceptable or unacceptable and you gotta check the acceptable and box. then that power to say to your your adult child you are unacceptable and until you become acceptable you will not be a part of society and I will make you acceptable. Yeah. yeah. And I will give you the check mark when it's time for you to re-enter the world. That's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's it is one that like I feel like I was a little sleepy then well, you were really sleepy. Yeah. The Ooh. night we watched it. And I think it's one that now that I've seen it, I when I'm in the mood for something like that, I think I'll like it even more on a rewatch. Yes. Cause it's it is slower. Mm-hmm. And and at times it's it's a little more genre-y than I might want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, like it doesn't go full Bergman. Yeah. You know, it has those moments. Um, and I get 1960s are a really different time. Like apparently that surgery scene was really controversial and like, you know, the whole narrative of like people fainting. And I was like, well, it kind of just looks like they put like a plastic mask. But it looks sick. <laughs> it like, does look sick. It looks real good. If you can like suspend your disbelief and not be like, I know how they did that. Yeah. It's pretty good. Um, and they had a lot, apparently, they were trying to do to make it, like, this director, I guess, wasn't a genre director. And, you know, it's the narrative we even have now of horror is less than. And mm. people were kind of like, excuse me, why are you making a horror movie? And so he did want it to be seen. So I guess that he did three things to try and make sure the censors didn't get mad at him. So he made sure there wasn't too much blood because that would piss off the French censors mm-hmm. that no animals were tortured on screen yeah, so that it wouldn't piss off the English censors and that there was no mad scientist character, even though there was one in the original novel or like to have the character be more like a stereotypical mad scientist because that would piss off the German censors. <laughs> Seems like so much work. Oh my God, it does. Um, but the director has said, and I thought this was really interesting. He said that he doesn't see this film as a horror film, but rather a, quote, tale of anguish. Mm. It's a quieter mood than horror, more internal, more penetrating. It's mm. horror in homeopathic doses. Ooh, man. And, yeah. you know, hearing that, I've been thinking about this word internal. Yeah. 
And that I actually think that might be the word that best defines the films I like best. They they feel internal. Internal. And they tend to be quieter. Yeah. And they tend to be more penetrating. And I was like, oh, he just, he hit the nail on the head, not just with the type of horror I tend to really be drawn to, but to the, the types of films in general. And tales of anguish, even in the dramatic sense, not the horror sense. Is it internal in that our characters are internal or it's internal for us? I think internal for us that like mm-hmm. we have to take in the film. And I think what I was really, really, really blown away by was the ending of this film. Yeah. And that's where I think the film becomes the most internal in the definition you just made, which is ultimately it's up to us what it meant. Mm-hmm. And it's more about the feeling it evokes in us without rational thought. Yeah. Like After Sun, like I'm, I'm going to be talking about After Sun for the rest of my life. There is not a concreteness to the ending of After Sun. And my brain wasn't logically trying to explain what was going on. But there was a feeling it stirred in me that just like turned on the tears and they couldn't stop. And this actually happened in the movie we watched last night where there was just a line that I just like instantly started crying. And mm-hmm. like there was no logical thought process to that it just like grabbed something inside of me and it was like a reflex yeah and i think that's when i think internal and penetrating that's that's what i think of and those are my favorite movies so like thanks for giving me that language for anjou there's been a few movies this year there where there's just and it's just such a credit to beautiful writing where you can if you can write one line of dialogue that it just hits you right in the heart and breaks you to pieces. Breaks you to pieces. There's been a few movies this year, and I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's because we went through we're we're going through a pandemic and people just had these really strong feelings and wrote one line and they're like, "This is how I feel and this is how everybody's gonna feel." Damn it! And they just crushed it. But yeah, I know I'm I'm with you. I I agree. Like I I do, you know, I find enjoyment in you know other types of movies but my my absolute favorites the ones that really sit with me and just will stand the test of time are those internal movies well and i think why for me and i and i think for you too those types of movies do stand the test of time is that because they're internal they might feel and resonate differently Mm -hmm. when you rewatch them because you're a different person or you're in a different state of mind mm-hmm. or you're going through different things. And so it's able to impact you internally in a different way. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love when I can watch something or reread something or re-listen to music that just captures, I, I resonate with a different part of it or it, it starts to make me think in a way I hadn't before on a previous engagement with it. Um, now, don't get me wrong. I also like things where it's like, I know what's going to happen in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I love Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm going to throw it on. I like both. Yeah. But those ones that really linger with me are these internal films. Yeah. I mean, it's like the Karate Kid for me. I, I love the Daniel and Ali stuff, but I got that with you now. So the Mr. Miyagi stuff really hits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you really got that with the person that says that's nice when you say I love you. Okay. I have one last thing to say about this. Yeah. John Carpenter says that his... Uh, use of the mask that he chose for Halloween was heavily influenced by the mask in this film. Nice. And if you can draw a straight line from Eyes Without a Face to John Carpenter's Halloween. Do you know what's kind of ironic about that is that the Halloween mask from the movie is kind of a face without eyes. 
I'm not being silly, but you know what I mean? <laughs> you seen eyes without a face? Be ready for face without eyes. John Carpenter's <laughs> face, face without, without eyes. eyes. Coming at you, 2023. We got to pitch it to him. <laughs> oh, he's not alive. Oh, shit. Oh, man. R.I.P. John Carpenter. Um, I mean, I know you're laughing, but it's totally true because Michael Myers' eyes are totally blacked out. Well, there you go. He was like, I'm going to take this a step further. Yeah. Can't just be eyes without a face. Gotta be face <laughs> without, without eyes. eyes, baby. But I do see the um, aesthetic connection between the two. Big time. And that, that uncanniness. Yeah. It look, looks, like a, looks like a real thing. And, and you know, Michael Myers being this um, quiet figure. Mm-hmm. Like the character of Christiane is very quiet. Yes. I don't know. I it, I liked it. I liked it too. It's slow. It's one to definitely like, I don't know that I picked the right night for it. Yeah. But I'm able to be reflective about that and be like some of the things that I was getting a little like want want on. Yeah. I don't think I always would. Yeah. I, I liked it and en- I liked it enough that I'd want to buy it on Criterion. We have it on Criterion. We own it? Yeah, but just on DVD, not on Blu-ray. Ah. We uh we have a friend who you may or may not hear from in a couple of weeks who uh, once very kindly gave us all the DVDs of the doubles that she had bought on Blu-ray. And this was one of them. That's great. I mean, I would happily also buy the blue Raymond of it. Um, (laughs) You're you're strange today. But uh, I want to watch it again. Like you said, kind of when we're more, now that we know the vibe, the vibe and we're more prepared for it, I would happily watch this again. How did eyes without a face make you feel? It made, it made me just kind of, it, it put me in the same state of awe that I get in whenever we watch these 60s movies. Mm. Like, I'm just so impressed with the craft and and the style and the aesthetic. But it also, by the end of the film, I, I was really with our main character of Christiane. So it made me just feel kind of triumphant by the end of the film. And, and I was really happy about that. How did it make you feel? And made me feel like a very eerie quiet sense of being on edge mm, yeah and the final frame just makes that linger with you yeah it's a phenomenal ending like one of the best endings in anything i've ever seen yeah i i mean my mom says i say everything's my favorite she's like you can't have 10 best friends you can't have 10 favorite movies <laughs> hold my beer <laughs> so like if some of you feel that way sorry i'm not gonna stop i have <laughs> lots of favorites this is one of my favorite endings i've ever seen among yeah. many yes Ready? Yeah. Talk about bad dads and rad dads. Whole reason we're here. I feel like there were a lot of options for bad dad this week. Yeah. So I'm curious where we netted out. Yeah. Who'd you go with? I picked David Gale's character of Dr. Carl Hill from Reanimator. Yeah, that's a good choice. Tell me why. He's disgusting. Yeah, amen. He is power hungry. Mm Mm-hmm. Wildly inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Selfish. Big time. Manipulative. Check. That's what I got for you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, I picked Herbert from Reanimator. No, no. Dr. Carl Hill is worse. <laughs> I mean. If you had picked Dr. Genesier, I might give it to you because as we were talking about this, I'm like, he's a pretty bad dad. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, try and convince me, but I'm I'm unconvincible. I mean, don't get me wrong. Dr. Hill is a deplorable human being and just disgusting. I was kind of thinking of it like, obviously, 
he's the worst. But I was kind of trying to like dig a little bit deeper of just like, okay, he's he's a deplorable human being, but starting to like dig into some of the more intricate details of being a dad. I was thinking about Herbert and just how unabashedly selfish he is and that he has goals and plans and things that he wants to accomplish uh, and has no regard for anybody else. And he's like super disrespectful to his superiors. Um, he's disrespectful to his inferiors. Um, and his equals, his roommates. <laughs> yeah, his equal. Like he, he, mm. he doesn't, he, anything he does that has consequences, he doesn't care about the consequences and doesn't adhere to any consequences put against him. And that makes him dangerous. And it, it leads to some very bad outcomes for not only him, but for the people immediately around him in his life and makes and, and brings up some very tough things for those other people in their, in his life that otherwise wouldn't be put in these situations. And I feel like throughout his whole arc, there's not much shift away from that. He's the same person from the start to the end. I guess there is some degree to which, Dr. Carl Hill, something has to happen to allow him to act on these negative traits that he has. Mm-hmm. And it seems like he has them innately in him, but suppresses them to a degree. Yeah. Whereas Herbert's just like, no, everything I think and feel is more important. Okay, fine. I guess I was convincible. Wow. Oh, man. <laughs> What a win. But you're not convincing me out of my rad dad. Okay. But um Okay, first so her- Herbert. Yeah. Kick rocks. Get out of here. You stink. All right. Do you want to say a rad dad on three? Uh yeah, I do. Okay. Wanna- Just the la- last name on three. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have something else written, but sure, we can say just the last name on three. Great. I think we have the same one. Okay. Okay. One, two, two three. three. Miyagi. Miyagi. <laughs> Mr. Miyagi to you. Hands down. Of course. No contest. Yeah. There was a lot of bad dads, but there was no contest for Rad Dad. Clear winner of Rad Dad this week. Patient, kind, Mm -hmm. supportive, bad friggin' ass. Yeah. Oh. And he's he's a fighter in more ways than one, but he understands the the need for fighting. Yeah. He has both. Evelyn and Wayman's ability to fight. Oh, man. He can fight both ways. And he knows when each one is necessary. <laughs> yep. I go make you cry. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So, Mr. Miyagi <laughs> from the Karate Kid. Be, be our, our dad. dad. Okay. Uh, I got a mystery rad wreck of the week because you don't know what it is. No, we don't um, usually do that. Yeah, we were kind of like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And then I thought of this because we are in creepy peepee season and I have been listening to this recently. I listen I, as soon as October hits, oh, I'll throw this on. Is it a famous actor's band, perhaps? Perhaps. <laughs> The Rad Wreck of the Week is the band Dead Man's Bones. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know who Dead Man's Bones are, it is a it is a music project that is led by the one and only Ryan, Very handsome. Ryan Gosling. 
and his writing partner, Zach Shields. They've only put out one album. Um, it's just called self-titled dead man's bones, but it, uh, it also features the Silver Lake Conservatory of Music Children's Choir. So it's a bunch of creepy Halloween music that is both sung by Ryan Gosling, but also accompanied by a children's choir. And I think it's Ryan Gosling's only music project he's ever done. And I love that it's this, but the music is so good. Mm-hmm. The songs are so good. It's 12 tracks. I highly recommend you check this out. Yeah, we need to get that bad boy on vinyl. Oh, that'd be so good. I don't know if it's available. We gotta we gotta seek it seek it out. But that's Red Wreck of the Week. Check out Dead Man's Bones. Put it on rotation for every Halloween season. You're gonna love it if you love anything. <laughs> <laughs> if you love anything, you'll you're love gonna love this. Dead Man's Bones. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. We drop a new episode every Thursday. And as we mentioned before, we're dropping a super special episode uh, on Sunday, this upcoming Sunday after this episode. So look out for that. You can also follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram at baddad.raddad or on Twitter at baddadraddad. You can get a sneak peek at what we've been watching on our individual Letterboxd accounts. We got some links for those in the show notes. And we would absolutely love you forever if you drop us a rating, review, or a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. That is going to do it for these two stinkies of this week. So until next week. I'm Kylie, and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot, and my dad's a deadbeat. But remember. Not all dads have to be bad. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.